slash and cast. All right, folks. Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, in this episode, I chat with writer and filmmaker Jason Buterin about killing clowns, literature, sneaking into concerts, looking like Jesus, creativity, horror, giggles, and more. As always, thanks for listening, and if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Send me a screenshot of it on any social media platform, and get yourself a shout-out. Anyway, without further ado, here you go. For a clown named Giggles, you're not very funny. You know... For a monster shaped like a man, you're not very scary. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. (laughs) Take us back in time, Jason. Were you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all of the above? Yes, all of the above. I would often read books in my fort to avoid getting in trouble for all the other shit that I caused, <laughs> which necessitated building a fort and having some sort of sanctuary to protect myself in in the first place. I've been a voracious reader my whole life. I've had a lifelong love affair with words, reading them and then writing them and, and everything else like that. And I blame that on my mom. Because growing up as a kid, I, I grew up in a trailer park in the backwoods of the back roads of Missouri in the early 80s. So I had two friends. One was the county library, which was like 15 miles into town. The other was the video store, which was about 20 miles mm. in the town yeah just read constantly and then the life lesson that my father taught me whenever i would say i was bored he would hand me the dictionary and just all right start reading this but there's shit in there you don't know i'm like <laughs> fine <laughs> like i would read the dictionary and then it ended like it in a weird twisted way like it started becoming fun i'm like oh okay and then we got an encyclopedia, like an encyclopedia set but again not having any money like i had like 12 letters out of the alphabet i'm like these are good so yeah vor- a voracious reader which led to often having a larger vocabulary than some of the teachers that i had growing up as a kid which allowed me to be more of a mouth and smart ass at the same time which again in a tiny little backwoods town in missouri didn't play real well during the, the early 80s so i think i'm still the only person in the garden to ever get called into the principal's office as far as <laughs> I, know, I still retain that record i mean at least i did i mean after for the apocalypse i guess it's anybody's but my mom would play like her george carlin eight tracks and her plymouth duster driving around you know taking me to garage sales so it was like the seven dirty words were you know the like my first spelling test basically so i'm just gonna blame her i mean clearly not <laughs> my fault so <laughs> troublemaker most certainly although I, I don't i don't go out looking for trouble it just seems to know where i am at all times it's got a gps on you i guess or something <laughs> that planted a chip maybe that's what the, the covid vaccine was it was my trouble chip or something i don't know I mean, sure there's a conspiracy theory out there somewhere for that i'll find one did you have a like a genre an author that you leaded more towards when you were reading 
I mean, sort of in a lot of, I mean, some of the, like, I mean, uh, like Beverly Cleary. I was always a Bever- more of a Beverly Cleary fan than a Judy Bloom, but I still love both of you. But like Ramona and Bezos will always hold a special place in my heart. I fucking flipped over like the Encyclopedia Brown stories. I love those things. When I first read a Choose Your Own Adventure, I didn't get it. So I read it from cover to cover. <laughs> Continuity makes no sense. And then I was like, oh, that's what they meant by it. And yeah, so I was like, I had a lot of book smarts, but, you know, not the, the brightest bulb in the box in terms of street sense sometimes. Until I started skateboarding, and then it, it just got all knocked out of my head, and I lost all my brain cells. The horror classics, I mean, I think the first time I read Dracula, you know, the first time I read, you know, Mary Shelley, you know, Shelley's Frankenstein. And then at the county library where I was at, they would also have, like, the big giant sort of universal monster, universal monster picture versions of the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, giant splashes and pages and stuff like that. So knowing, knowing the monsters from the books it made it very easy to translate that into film or for to make that transition into loving the films just as much as the books that was one of the few things that i could watch with my dad whenever i would get a chance to see him he worked a graveyard shift so mm-hmm. and not in a cool sense um so I didn't, I didn't get to see him as much as i would like but i mean that was one of the things we can always bond over was the twilight zone and then went to the universal horror films largely because from what i hear according to stories vincent price drank in my dad's dad's bar back in like i mean the 40s, but in, back in St. Louis in the Del Mar Loop in the early days, I think probably the 40s or 50s, somewhere around there. So yeah, he used to call him whenever he would be on screen. He's like, "Oh, it's Vinny." I'm like, "It's Vincent fucking Price." <laughs> I'm like, "But it's fucking Vincent Price." <laughs> so it's kind of crazy, but yeah, I mean, e- equally both. So I, I still look, I still live everywhere. I got to see C.S. Lewis, you know. I mean, and then once the movie realm started opening up various fantasy realms and stuff like that, once I think I started watching Sword and Sword three films. I mean, I just dove it. You know, Conan made me read Lord of the Rings. And then I mean, it was just you know, it was a slippery slope to see. Lewis and then Piers Anthony and a lot of which are still on my bookshelves. The first time I discovered Poe when I was eight and read The Raven, I'm like, holy fuck! <laughs> and my teacher's like, you can't say fuck. I'm like, but it's, I'm like, do you read this shit? But yeah, Poe still has a, a good place in my heart. Still a very, a very voracious reader. Getting a master's degree in literature kind of changed that because it sucked a lot of the passion that I had for reading out of me to where like the most intellectually taxing thing I wanted to read was Keith Richards' autobiography. <laughs> but that's also a fantastic read too. So it worked on a different level of intellectual stimulation I forgot what the question was but i hope i won yeah you got it so i know that you're a music fan so spoilers to the listeners out there i know you know jason and i are a bit buddies on facebook so i'm not coming here completely blind nobody likes a blind comer right <laughs> some people do probably but you uh, you have to pay extra. Yeah, yeah i was gonna say you have to pay extra for that <laughs> yeah i gotta slip them five quid it's uh so obviously you know we're both big fans of music and horror is there a time that you can think back to growing up to where you were betrayed by box art whether it be an album or a movie <laughs> Molly Hatchet comes to mind. My friend Daniel uses that a lot. You know, when you see that Molly Hatchet cover growing up, you think you're going to get, you know, some Slayer type music, and that's not what you're getting at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I think so. Well, I think the Molly Hatchet, like Frank Frazetta, did a lot of that yeah, artwork. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, you, you kind of go into it, like it's going to be like, yeah, the musical equivalent of, of Conan, like the crop <laughs> backup band. <laughs> I've been more dis- I'm not necessarily disappointed by album art. Nothing. I mean, nothing's springing to mind. Uh, movies, probably. To me, it's just like the the experiences that I have, the flashbacks that I have with without you know with 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 box art. Just, I mean, walking through the aisles of video classics. Like for some reason, was it the movie Extro? X T R O. Yeah, yeah. X T R O was I like I remember seeing that thing religiously like three or four times a weekend. I don't think I've ever seen the fucking film. I have no idea. Like it could be I don't know if it's good, bad, ugly, somewhere in the middle. Like I I should watch that movie, but it, it's crazy because I will I will randomly think of that out of the blue, or I'll I'll think to I'll have a flashback 
to the video store and I automatically think of Extra, a movie to this day, 40 years later, I have still not watched. <laughs> and then like, now I almost don't want to because I've built it up so much in my own head that it's like I just, I dare not risk the disappointment. I mean, as far as any heartbreaks, I, I, I don't, I don't think so. That's good. That's a good, that's a, that's a good question though. Because some of, like, some of, you know, Maybe not the box art, more so than like film titles. If you watch The Naked Lunch, you're in for a real disappointment. <laughs> I've never seen um, that. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, like the crying game and then, ah, there's dongs and, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, take us through your musical diet growing up. You know, what were some of the highlights that come to mind? I grew up, I, I'm very fortunate. There, there was always records playing in my house whenever my mom was home. Or, you know, whenever we were both like home together. And I mean, growing, you know, growing up in a in mobile home, your house is on wheels, but you're in a metal box. So the acoustics of which are awesome, especially <laughs> combined with shag carpeting. But I just, I always remember there just being music. And I equate that, I think, with some of like, I mean, like my hat, my earliest, happiest memory. So it always holds a special place. And she would always play a lot of, I mean, she was, she's only. Uh, she was 17 when I was born. So we did a, a lot of growing up together. Um, so we share a lot of music, you know, it's a lot of the stuff, you know, R&B and soul from the 60s and 70s, I remember on a constant basis. She got me hooked on those. Remember those Hooked on Classics albums? It was mm -hmm. kind of like, like classical music, but like really early sort of like electronica, like classical music, but done by an orchestra and they're all hopped up on fucking methamphetamine, <laughs> you know? Um, like and I, I've got, I've found some of those on vinyl uh, recently, which just makes me super happy. And my dad always played uh, swing and big band. He was born in 1930s. So I mean, that was that was his jam was mm -hmm. swing. So when I when I started playing drums and stuff, I'd ask my mom got tired of me just banging on pots and pans. I mean, a lot of what I played for the first I mean, however many years was just swing and jazz and kind of the R and B and stuff like that. And then I remember seeing the Motley Crue video. I think it was for it was Wild Side. I saw the video for Wild Side. I'm like, I want to do that. And then like the like another Motley Crue video came out where like Tommy Lee's like fucking drum kit like comes out and like starts spinning over the audience. <laughs> And pre nineteen ninety, that shit was fucking mind blowing. So I'm like, I'm like, like you know, and then dove into that. So I, I always just kind of ran amok, you know, anywhere between the the forties to whatever the current year was. Vinyl was always kind of really big in my house, mm. which is something that I, I've sort of carried over. And it's not that it sounds better. I only have to listen to it. It's just like it's just I like dropping a needle on a record. Like I like I like tactile, palpable things. Um, yeah. All the writing I do, I mean, I I've got boxes of fucking zebra pens and tablets everywhere because I have to I have to handwrite, hard write everything out. If it's screenplays, I gotta usually write out two or three different versions, and then I'll start putting it in the final draft because I can't. It's hard for me to create something just a, a, a electronic. You know, I like having CDs. I like I like artwork. I love having the vinyl just to be able to read liner notes, to look at the artwork, to have something palpable, physical to hold. You know the the grooves, the scratches, the hisses, the noises, all the the the, the subtle imperfections. I like it, it. It makes it feel organic to me. Mm -hmm. You know, having the most pristine digital copy on my fucking cloud account. It's just it's a bunch of zeros and ones on a computer in some fucking dude's basement. It, it makes it feel more real to me instead of just like I said, just I mean zeros and ones floating out there in the Ethereum somewhere. Drum are obviously your first instrument yeah yeah only yeah. instrument I, I dabbled and played saxophone and piano and like upright bass and guitar stuff like that really good at finger cymbals yeah i always wanted to get more into piano like i learned how to play the piano i was always one of those people like i could pick things up usually by ear better than like i can't 
really read music for shit. But if I hear something, I can genuinely play it back. But drums was just the easiest way to distract me, you know, before, I mean, the early 80s in Missouri. I mean, you, you weren't, nobody had ADHD. You were just a fucking kid. We were drinking, like, we were chugging fucking five-gallon vats of high C out of the metal <laughs> container. <laughs> licking, you know, tongues licking the fucking sugar crust at the bottom. And it was fine. We turned out okay. So, yeah, dr- drums was just, you know, my mom got tired of me beating on her pots and pans and stuff like that. And it was just, if, if I was turned up to be one of the best cathartic outlets I've had, because it's like I got a lot of anger issues and you just want to beat the fucking shit out of something. And that's what drums are for. <laughs> so you get to work out. It's like, you know, why I got into filmmaking? It's like, you really just want to kill the shit out of some people. <laughs> but that tends to be frowned upon in most societies and cultures. So this way you get to kill all the people you ever want to do in ways you never thought you'd be able to afford. And then you generally get to go home at the end of the day or night <laughs> without with hopefully less blood on your clothes or person. <laughs> Well said, well said. <laughs> so what age did you join your first band? Professional band or band? Hey, well, um, whatever you consider a band. If you guys are just sitting in the room, you know, holding your instruments, that's a band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that meant, that meant something different at that age, too. Uh, didn't know I could get paid for that. I don't think anyone's going to come to that show. So. Well, what person? I don't know. Cause I mean, I, it would have to be maybe around 11 10 or 11 i think just kind of getting out sort of making noise with a couple of kids and then to say once i once i saw the mountain crew videos i was just like oh and then like all the, the ill-advised pre-teen capricious youth again just cacophonic sonic bullshit noise that <laughs> followed for a couple of years i remember being bands like in high school and not being old enough to get into the clubs we were playing so like having to sneak in like all that kind of shit like that it's been a long 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 time but it's something i'm 46 i turned 47 at the end of the month just blowing my fucking mind <laughs> but i'm still i have a band called the malamondos which is a, a super fun just rock and roll outfit it sounds like the music you would hear in any Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm. Usually, that's usually the most intuitive way I could put it to people. If I say it like that, they're like, oh, okay. I got it's you. Like, it's kind of like <laughs> Raj, surf, sleazy, rock, punk. They're like, what? Like, I mean, you're just fucking picking genres out of the fucking <laughs> giant Columbia house hat, you know? So it's something I'm still doing. I, I, I like playing drums. I like beating the crap out of things and just making obscene amounts of noise and having people clap forward at the end is always a, a, a rewarding experience. So we're playing. Where are we playing? Oh, Chapel Hill this Friday, Friday the 13th, a special Friday the 13th show. Oh, very uh, nice. Abe in Chapel Hill with Blood Red River and then another kick-ass band whose name is Gay. I'm not, I'm not going to say I forgot it. I'm going to say it's a choose-your-own-adventure and you have to go online and find it, kids. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> I, I forgot it. But they're super kick-ass people, I'm sure. When did you make the move from Missouri to North Carolina? Uh, it was August of 2000. Well, yeah, that summer of 2000. I was in Cape Girardeau, Missouri for a long time. I, got, I went there for undergrad and uh, ended up uh, moving back to St. Louis for a little bit and going back to Cape. And then I met a girl. And then... That's, that's uh, how it starts. That's how it starts. <laughs> Sometimes it's how it ends if you're lucky. And no, no, I, I met a girl, and uh, 23 years later, we're, we're still together. And she's upstairs right now with my son, who will probably sneak down and make an appearance because I told him to make a cameo. I'm like, I'm talking to the dude to talk to Snyder. And he's like, I'm like, I know, right? But yeah, no, I, I, I met a golden goddess at a bar. She was drunk on the bar singing Journey, like you will. And then, I mean, it was just, that's how, yeah, one of the greatest love stories still being written started. And she got accepted into UNCG for her MFA and dance. And this was right after we met. I'm like, I'm not going through another long distance because it's like, you could try like, well, you know, it never works for anybody. Maybe it'll work for us. No. <laughs> so she ended up sneaking out of the country and going to Italy with her stepmom for a couple of weeks. And I mean, this was, this was 
july of 2000 so it's like i think i still had dial up at the time but just kind of i ended up just looking at, at uncg's website and i found that they had a job for a webmaster and i mean so i ended up like applying and flew down and got the job and so i mean did all this stuff and we'd only been dating for about a couple of months i'm like i'm coming to north carolina and she's like great <laughs> But again, she still hasn't told me to fuck off and really, really meant it or change the locks yet. And it's been 23 years. So <laughs> you've either got a, a vision problem or uh, there's some sort of deficiency there. But again, I'm just going to count my lucky stars. But that's how I ended up in North Carolina. How old were you when you moved? Uh, that was 2000. I was 24. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you didn't grow up in North Carolina. You'd say you grew up in Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Born and raised. So when did you first start to experiment creatively, you know, like beyond drumming? And when did you, did you write your first short story or when did you write your first script? I didn't do anything official of screenplay until cause I started getting into the whole movie thing, the filmmaking thing, the thing, profession, career, hobby. It, it's fucking masochism is what it is. I don't know why I keep doing this. It tortures me, but I keep fucking doing it. The, the screenplay stuff, that didn't start till 2006. Short stories and stuff like that. I mean, I'd, as soon as I, my, my love affair with words kicked in, it, it, it went from reading them to also writing mm. them. You know, draw, I mean, drawing as a kid and then kind of just making my own sort of comics and stuff, you know, putting words to it and stuff like that, and then making a series and making a strip. And then now I've got like 30 sheets of paper. Fuck, I've got a story. And then just write, you know, writing stories and stuff like that. I got in trouble in school because I, you know, I started doing creative writing in elementary school because I, I, I was bored. There was a fifth grade when I wrote most of my book reports because I had read all the books in the elementary school library and they wouldn't let me go into the middle school library because at that time, it was like all three, like elementary, you know, middle, junior high and high school, they're all three buildings were connected like yeah. you could walk one or the other so they wouldn't let me into the junior high library so i just started making up books for the whole fifth grade and then i got i got caught like the last two weeks and it was so cool because i thought i was gonna get my ass beat six ways from sunday my mom's at the prison office. she's like so wait are you pissed that he lied about the books or that you didn't realize it until just now and i'm like oh <laughs> I don't think like I think I got like a stern look, and then she took me to McDonald's. I'm like, woo! So it, it the 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 writing has always been there, and just it just evolving into constant form. You know, songwriting once I got into high school or joining bands and stuff. And usually that's the last thing a drummer will say before he gets kicked out of the band is, uh, "Let's try one of my songs." But I, I I have been very blessed, very fortunate, very lucky that the words have a way with me. I've been able to I think come up with you know decent lyrics every every once in a blue moon. So I mean, always writing. You know, short stories. Uh, into longer stories i've written three novels poetry i when i first moved or before i left uh, missouri and moved to north carolina for a long time i was a music journalist and like a syndicated columnist entertainment reporter and stuff like that like i did bar and restaurant review, or bar reviews for a long time and it was just it was a fantastic way especially back then to not ever have to pay for cds or concert tickets <laughs> and, I mean, you know, and i mean i remember like the first time i like, going to these you know going to these concerts uh, uh, nine, you know, 99 2000 my first digital camera was like a fucking sony mavica that was like <laughs> This big and it took floppy disks and I could get four four pictures to a floppy disk. It was fantastic. But I get, I I met some amazing people. I met some of my heroes that way. And a lot of it also it worked that I look sort of the way that I do that we do. Yeah. <laughs> we show up to a club and like I mean I've actually I've avoided paying uh, for a lot of shows because like oh you're in the band go ahead so yeah you know and then that that, then that that same sort of luck for some amazing reason sort of carried into filmmaking too in terms of just sort of being able to meet people and expand circles and stuff like that and just being very very lucky with any creative outlet that i've pursued and then having uh, being blessed to be able to have parents who don't understand what I'm doing, but will fully support my right to do it. Um, and that, 
you know, I mean, my dad, I can remember like just some of the looks. I remember I got in trouble because I wrote it. I wrote a song. It was like Teenage Fucking Wasteland. So I think I was like 14 and pissed off at the entire. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, just numb. Like my mom made me go downstairs and read it to him. Like he just sat there looking at me, just shook his head and just walked out of the room. He probably but thought that was pretty but, good. <laughs> yeah. I, I, he was so impressed and blown away by my grandiloquence that he just was, he was awestruck. That's what I like to tell myself. Uh, and clearly at the time, I was just a fucking idiot. But still, you know, uh, being good dad sometimes means not saying things like that to your offspring. I mean, I just, yeah, have, have been super, super lucky and just uh, the artistic outlets that I have, I've been able to uh, explore and expand and stuff like that. And just, I haven't been sort of confined to one outlet or media or genre or, or, or type or anything like that. So yeah, I'm a very, very, very lucky boy. Blessed. And also a tip for anyone out there looking to get into free shows, you know, maybe you don't have long hair and a beard, always carry a ladder in your, in your car. You just, you know, you're going to go fit some light. You got a staff of a rent shirt. Works every time. <laughs> they won't even ask questions. Oh, now, well, that, that's the thing. I mean, it's like if you look like you belong there and you know what you're doing, I mean, like just uh, whatever you're going to do, make shit up, pull it out of your ass, do it with confidence. Yeah, yeah. You will be surprised, if not outright flabbergasted at the results. <laughs> Exactly. Every damn time. There was one time, one time, I was at a joint, uh, I think it was Fandom Fest or Fright Night. It was in Louisville, Kentucky. And I'm going down there and we're hanging out. I mean, big convention stuff. We were running around and we ended up at a dueling piano bar. And uh, like two or three girls came up. They're like, oh my God, like, are you guys from the Black Crows? I'm like, no, I'm not. And my friend came up and he's like, what was that about? And I'm like, every fucking time I go, I'm like, this happens. I'm like, just be cool. It's probably going to happen again. Okay. So he tells the sound guy, he's like, Oh, hey, don't tell anybody, but Chris Robinson from the Black Crows is here. He's chilling out right over there. I'm like, I'm like, God fucking damn it. So the guy's like, That's not him. That's bullshit. Brings up like Chris Robinson's picture on his phone, holds it next to my face. He's like, Oh, it fucking is you. I'm like, It's me. Um, I'm like, I'm like, just be cool. I'm like, I'm just hanging out. Okay. So, and you, and he just like, he tells somebody, you can just watch it walk. Like, it just go sprints across the entire fucking piano bar like wildfire. I spent three hours signing <laughs> autographs, posing for pictures with people. I played a song with a band, but I told him that I was in town filming a documentary because I can't sing for shit. Well, I mean, I can, not well, but I told him I was in town filming a documentary and it was in my contract that I couldn't sing because I'm the guy from the Black Crows. <laughs> but I'm like, I can play drums for a song. No, like, they didn't say I couldn't do that. Okay, that'd be great. So, like, the singer from the Black Crows. <laughs> Playing, playing drums, drums. <laughs> everybody was into it but i remember like the like the chief of police or whatever was there he's like mr robinson he's like you need anything when you're in town sir you just let me know I'm like can i have five minutes in the evidence room in a bag <laughs> he's like i'm like ah, i'm just kidding huh? Huh? and he wasn't he wasn't down with it after that <laughs> so the, yeah the doppelganger dilemma thing pros and cons kids do you ever take any interest in uh, drama or theater during school at all? Oh, the theater kids. I've got opinions about theater. <laughs> now, now I have love for a lot of theater people. I tried. I, I got into it for a little bit. I think I did. I was in Flowers for Algernon in fifth grade. I tend to be an antisocial butterfly to where it's one of those things where it's like you want all the attention, but you don't want anybody to look at you. The pressures for for live performance, you know, are, are different, obviously, for a, a mu for musical for musicians for a drummer than it is for a theatrical actor. And it, it, it was I have the utmost of respect for because with film, I mean, 
you fuck it up, you do another take, you know? I mean, it, it, most times if you're like, you're going to do another take, do another take, you fuck up a big, you know, paragraph of dialogue, you're in the, you miss your fucking mark, you're in the wrong spot. You have the luxury of being able to, oh, because that's not the final, pro that's not the final artistic output or product. With live theater, there's no fucking safety net, <laughs> you know? Um, you, you need, I call it, I, I like to call it Occam Murphy's Law of Razors because whatever can go wrong will, and it will often most be the simplest thing. And you, so you have to be able to adapt with that. It, it, if you're if you're you know working with a couple of different actors and someone forgets their lines you know you can either buck it up and make the whole thing or roll with it adapt or die you know um so to be able to do that and and, and there there are a lot of actors actors actresses that, that can't you know i mean they, they go by the book and if 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 some x factor element is thrown into that they don't know how how to react and adapt um and there are others that do i've been very blessed one of one of the best actors my brother michael ray williams it doesn't matter if it's stage or screen or like he's even a fucking brilliant singer like anything thing he does is amazing i don't like musicals at all i would say i downright loathe them with the fiery passion of a million sons he's amazing in sweeney todd you know like i've seen sweeney todd i think like twice now and he's or i've seen it a couple more times because it's my wife's favorite musical but i've seen it locally i can hear my son laughing upstairs it makes me happy i've seen it locally <laughs> twice and it's been him both times because he's just fucking genius at whatever he does so i i i like theater it would be something cool to get into but i uh filmmaking is just where that 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 storytelling passion that i have lies for right now it'd be cool i would like to have fringe festivals all around the world and i always kind of wanted to get involved with one of those but the 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 live aspect the live element i was never really able to adapt any of the ideas i had to it except for a puppet show i thought it'd be cool to do a puppet show between pirates and zombies called the black box rebellion so i've got a whole idea about that because i want mainly because i wanted my band to be the band playing all the music on the side of the stage while <laughs> watch a puppet show because uh, i've never done that before yet so or i've never done that yet let's put it that way yet because we're in january and i'm still making new year's revolutions exactly so take us through that initial dive into directing you know what was the inspiration for those first short films there are demons screaming in my head constantly <laughs> and I, if i wrote it out it made space for other noises and screams and demons and people to move in i got into directing i i, I started acting i love acting i'm I, I like it i think i'm okay at it and then from there it, you know it is like well i, I want to be a writer now so i had a couple of good friends that when i was off uh, on my honeymoon in hawaii in 2005 they did a thing called the 48 hour film project i was like i want to do that but i i, I missed the, the 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 cutoff so we did it in 2006 and that was my first foray into into filmmaking i had no fucking clue what i was doing i still don't <laughs> I, I i would posit i mean i i knew fuck all about formatting like i think i wrote like a six page prose paragraph like i'm like fuck your scene settings character <laughs> and i'm like i'm hanging to the actors like here learn this and they're like uh, but due to the graces of having some some wonderful people involved in the, especially in the crew in the last minute we'll save we had a we come up we came up with a little story called z-day and it got an honorable mention for best writing so in my mind i was an award-winning screenwriter now i'm like Motherfuckers! that's what um, that means yeah no no totally uh, <laughs> i think that one is still on my mom's fridge in her caravan too <laughs> So I, I I wanted to do it again, and, and I started as a screenwriter, but I found myself being lectured on the fact that my screenplays were, I put too much direction in them. Because, I mean, as, as I'm writing, I tend to put onto paper what I see in my head, you know, when I'm watching it in the screen in my head. So it, it's, I, I, I put a lot of direction, all this visual stuff in it, and you're not supposed to do that. So people were buying me books on how to write screenplays. I'm like, fuck you, I'm too busy writing screenplays to read that shit. <laughs> and, but learning subtle things like formatting and everything else, you know, how to, you know, storytelling and acts and three parts and the whole structure and formulas and i still haven't read any of those books <laughs> 
the directors that I found myself writing for, or that were directing myself, um, like they just they didn't get it. They came close, but they just didn't get it. Like I wanted it like this, and they didn't do that. And because they're the director, they like I don't give a fuck what you think, per writer person. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, well then, yeah. Then between hearing you put too much direction in your screenplays, well then I'll just fucking direct it and then problem solve. So it was more just sort of out of creative necessity, mm. and then, again, just a, another another sort of extension into that creative endeavor of like I don't, you know, can I do this? You know, mm. being a, a drummer, being a part of a, a band, you know, um, it, it, you're in the back the whole, you know, almost always, unless you're like Neil Pert twat. I hate <laughs> Rush. I, I hope that, that can <laughs> we can move past that. If you're a Rush fan, I don't think anybody should have to be raised or lowered into a fucking drum kit. Like that's just me. I completely forgot where I was going with that because I got to oh Rush. Uh, so, you know, part of that, <laughs> And I was like, God, I hate Rush so bad. But, you know, it, it, it's 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 that community team aspect. Not that you don't have that on filmmaking. You have to have that. If you don't have that, you're dead in the water. But have, assuming that director role, I mean, that kind of places that mantle, that persona, you know, per, you know, that perception of the mantle of responsibility on your shoulders. Because if something gets fucked up, it's not going to, you know, a lot of times, I mean, that that's sort of the, the contact point for a lot of the stuff in the movie, for better or for worse. I just, I wanted to see if I could do it, and then I, I got addicted to do it. Because it's, I mean, it's it's the ultimate version of, of playing make-believe, you know, especially to be the writer and director, because I, I know mm. how I want to see this shit in my head, and I can just put that on paper, and fuck you if my paragraph is like nine lines long and full of direction. I'm gonna fucking direct it. Like, I write it, you know, like, I know what I need. I know what I want to see. And then, like, I tried doing the editing thing, too, because, like, I was like, I'm gonna, you know, because I was, always had a huge Robert Rodriguez boner. So I'm like, I'm gonna wear all the hats and write and direct and edit and blah 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 and I, I tried to do that a couple of times I'm like no 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 <laughs> like editing I'm like holy fuck and I mean it, that was I tried it on two shorts and I pulled them off I finished them but it's just like they would have to that would just be it would just consume my entire creative existence like I would just have to do nothing but editing that's why I have the utmost of respect for editors and anybody involved in sound in film oh, um yeah they should they should all get free tacos every Tuesday, <laughs> uh, in my opinion. I would do that if if I if I become president, I will be free tacos for all editors and sound people. Yeah, it's a thankless um, job too, you know. It's just... Oh god, yeah. When it's just like you know, you hear like questions like you know, there are three versions of every film. You know, the one the writer writes, the one the director directs, and the one the editor edits, and that is going to be the one that people see. But sound is something I've talked about like on panels and with filmmakers, and you know, every a couple of times recently, I've been asked to speak to film young filmmakers. Uh, you know, first-time filmmakers, and they, and I'm I'm serving in this like oracle-like capacity, and it's freaking me the fuck out. So I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, but the problem is that if you have enough bravado and you have enough diffidence and you know enough big words and you look like the guy in the band, people think you know what you're doing. If you cover up a complete lack of esteem with profane profundity, it tends to open up certain doors for you. So from the shorts, you know, obviously, you know, we move into kill giggles. You know, mm-hmm. when, what was the catalyst that pushed you over the edge to the full feature? Probably when I had like four composition books full of clown death. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not kidding. Those are all in a box over there. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, it, it originally because I, I wanted, I wanted, I, I tend to dwell on ideas for a very long time, but it, it, it irked me that all the serial killers, the killers, the monsters, the purvey, you know, the spreaders of mayhem, they would always dress up like clowns. You know, and then you got gays and you got all this, you know, in real life and in movies and stuff like that. And it irked me that I was like somebody had surely had to have a serial killer who dressed up like a clown. It had to have been done. 
I did a lot of research and it hadn't been done and I couldn't fucking believe it. Especially since around 2013, 2014, I kind of started writing it. It, it hadn't been done. And the fact that, that Hollywood was rebooting and remaking shit that had come out 10 years before and this was, you know, almost 10 years ago. And now it's like something came out six months ago. Fuck it, let's reboot it. Like, and it's just that constant regurgitation of already established properties and franchises because there's slightly more bucks in that than on taking a chance on the brilliant fucking stories that are going on in the independent filmmaking world. I do not like clowns. People always like, you know, why, why? if you hate clowns so much, why make a movie about you? You had to look at clowns all the time. I did. We've clearly established I'm not the brightest bulb in the box. <laughs> but it, it was self he'll advise self-administered psychotherapy is how I like to put it. But I wanted, and I just wanted to kill clowns. And that's what I loved uh, when I said about filmmaking, you know, you, you get into it so that you can kill people, not get in trouble for it. And if you do it right, you'll get fucking awards and moral <laughs> name between the two little, you know, leaves. So, I, I mean, I, that's what I, that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to do it to clowns. And I was just like, well, how, like, how many different ways can we kill a clown? And then literally like six composition books later, I mean, it, it just kept going and going and going. So originally I was like, well, I'll just make it a short. And I think I, I think I already had like 60 pages of a screenplay. The first draft of the Kill Giggle screenplay was about 318 pages. And I wasn't done yet. But every time, like, I would tell my DP, he's like, how, he's like, how long is it now? I'm like, I just passed 250. Like, he would pee a little. I'm like, no, it's going to be cool, dude. It's cool. It's like a 18-hour-long Ken Burns narrated documentary. <laughs> They're like, how long is it? About 300 pages. I'm like, what? It'll be it won't be that long. A whole page a minute thing, five-hour-long movie. I would have been cool with it. And then learn, you know, learning how, especially if you're going to write and direct, to sacrifice your darlings because it's like the shit. Just like you know, the 27-page scene I had was really, really important. Doesn't need to be in the movie. It could be basically whittled down to like a line of dialogue that refers to the 27-page. So learning, learning how to be able to distill that down to the most important parts and mm -hmm. i think the final draft of the kill eagle screenplay i think was like 110 pages maybe a little over 100 pages i think we're gonna have a cameo uh oh here we go uh oh hey baby boys i told come you come on down good. how's it going sir mr justin here you can sit about hi oh. internet people <laughs> nice to meet you i'm justin what's your name yeah handshake handshake there you go my name is jack Jack, that's a great name. Do you like beanstalks? <laughs> this is my Jack Thomas. This is my masterpiece. But this, Mr. Justin, is the man who interviewed Principal Snyder. Dun, dun, dun. He's everything you'd expect. <laughs> Belly mad and always hates Buffy. Yeah, he he does hate Buffy. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> He's probably not fond of snakes at this point either. So. No, probably no, no. not. But you know, he did say that he asked for that death specifically. He asked to be eaten alive. Really? Yeah, because uh, <laughs> Flutie, the principal before him, was eaten uh -huh. by the hyenas. Yeah, yeah, he got so eaten by yeah, the He said, um, if I'm going to be a principal, I have to be eaten. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just, that's a, that's a good professional attitude to have, I think, you know? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to say anything else? Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. He makes a killer appearance in Kill Giggles, this boy, by the way. Really? Which... Yeah, yeah. So uh, the beauty of being a yeah of uh, being an independent filmmaker is that you don't have money to pay a whole lot of people, especially what they're worth. So you call up all your friends and all your family. So basically all of my family was in Kill Giggles. My son, my wife, yeah. uh, my mom, her dog, my mom-in-law, and pretty much like everybody else that we knew. So... The boy makes a fantastic appearance. So once it's finally released, Hollywood, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, everyone will be able to see that. So now I had to, had to put the boy in there. So I wanted to tell you that I made a note while I was watching Kill Giggles. Like the, the intro sequence had a really 
early 90s vibe for the like the funky jazzy score gave me like a really low down dirty shame i don't know if you've ever <laughs> seen awesome. low down dirty shame but yeah that's that's the whole thing i was getting watching the uh the score there i really like a lot of the uh the choices of your composer Oh yeah, it's brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, by the name of Ron Wasserman, I've been lucky enough to work with him several times on on several of my shorts and then on Kill Giggles. But he wrote like I mean, he, he's a bloke. Saw him and his then wife. They were in a band called Fisher. I think around ninety seven, ninety eight, or something like that. So I mean, I've been friends with him for decades now. But I mean, he he's a guy. He wrote the Power Rangers theme song. Really? Like, oh, Power Rangers theme song. Yeah, it's fucking nuts. Like he did a bunch of stuff for like the X Men cartoons, like Batman Beyond, and then stuff like Hot was it Hot in Cleveland, like the show that Betty White was yeah. on. Bertinelli, um, like he's he's like his, his professional resume is fucking insane, and I can't believe that a he likes me and that two he keeps working with me because I'm like I don't have money to pay you, but I'm like I'll send you taco coupons. Speaking of which, I need to send him taco coupons. <laughs> but no, I mean, but he he is just absolutely amazing. I think he I think he he likes working with some friends, but I was also the I did the first horror like he hadn't done any horror stuff before that. I, I think he's done some since he's been doing a video game score, which is massive. But he he's just amazing. He's one of those people multi instrumentalists that can just play anything and play the hell out of it. I yeah, I'm I'm very very lucky but the stuff he the score he did for kill giggles was just fantastic but i've worked with like kill giggles and then we did the corner and then don't let the light in and i think between hell and a hard place was the first thing we worked on together plus the thing i'll ever get to original episode of the twilight zone so that was super fun too but you know, ron, yeah, ron is amazing so i just we we had a lot of fun with that opening scene of kill giggles because that was that was the first thing i had written or no the, actually the first thing i had written for kill giggles was the last scene and then i wrote the first scene and then i just started tying shit together in the middle <laughs> wow that doesn't shock me you know i didn't know that listening to it but having heard it it's clear that the guy knows what he's doing you know <laughs> oh yeah he's uh, well, I say, yeah i mean look, look, ron wasserman like i mean like his, his imdb thing is massive i mean he, he did like i mean he was friends with betty white you know for the longest time and, you know he wrote the power rangers thing i mean and then it's yeah it's crazy and then vernon wells was also involved with the power rangers like as a villain so like they both worked on kill giggles together so i mean it's like there's this uh, yeah. i've been very very lucky in that the friendships that, that i make the relationships that i've been able to make in, in filmmaking have been a blessing because it's just you meet one person and that opens up a whole other world which is why i just i i, I need to get back on the film festival circuit because i i miss that being able to meet people and meet friends and just make magic happen is, is a very very special thing i don't, I don't yeah. know what the question about kill Geekers was oh you got it i was just asking you know, we were just chatting about the score i didn't have a question we just started talking about how great the music uh, was <laughs> how, how brilliant ron wasserman is no i could i could i could i could wax eloquent about that man for hours so. <laughs> We just mentioned Vernon Wells, you know, fans of horror, you know, they're sure to see several familiar faces in Kill Giggles, uh, <laughs> Felissa Rose. Just take us through the icons that you got in this thing and how you brought them all along. I was very, very lucky. Uh, it was a few years back, but Matt Cloud, who's a brilliant Virginia filmmaker, um, is, is working on, he was doing a, a story, Night of the Living Dead Genesis. So sort of because, of you know, Night of the Living Dead being the public, you know, the brilliant public domain property it is. It was sort of a, a, a remake of that, but kind of delving into what else was going on that day besides, you know, you know, where were the people at that came into the story? So sort of expanding upon already established storyline. And he, he did it in a very cool way, but he had Judith O'Day, who played Barbara in the original Night of the Living Dead. She was in his film. And then I got lucky enough. He's like, you want to play one of the, you know, the like the sanitarium guards that walks, you know, that basically wheels Judith O'Day to the interview room. I'm like, boy, do I? <laughs> um, so I drove up to, we went, we went up to Weston, West Virginia at the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Scariest fucking place ever. But I, I got to hang out with Judith O'Day. And I, like, I was like, I like I wheelchair, I push her in the wheelchair from her patient room to the interview room. And I look at the dude next to me. I'm like, we're the guys who came and got Barbara. That's so fucking cool. 
And then, I, you know, I ended up just sort of uh, keeping that friendship with her. We just sort of emailed back and forth. And I had there was a fantasy film project I wanted to work on with her. And that didn't pan out. But then I, I you know, once I started writing Kill Giggles, it was like I, I wrote the part for her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the character of um, Debbie DePrima, Deborah DePrima. That's what I called her. I mean, it w- w- was written, I mean, specifically for Judith O'Day. Because I mean, she you know, plays as sort of like the, the zombie queen, the zombie movie queen in the movie. Tell me that I, I got lucky that. Did she and she's one of the nicest. She has the most wonderful fucking eloquence. It's insane. Like her speaking voice is just like amazing. And she's the nicest fucking person. And she keeps talking to me and responding back to my messages. And I don't know why, but I love it. <laughs> and then you know something. So so she she agreed to be in the film, which was just amazing. Felissa Rose, I met at a brilliant film festival called the Crimson Screen Horror Film Festival, which is in Charleston, South Carolina, run by Tommy Faircloth, and one of the best one of the best genre film festivals around. I highly recommend submitting to it. Usually it happens. I think at the end of May so there's still time to submit uh, screenplays and films but one of the things I love about that is that they'll they'll bring in sort of a celebrity guest and just one it's not it's not a convention where you've got like guests lined up and stuff like that they'll bring in one and the year that I went my film Don't Let the Light In got accepted into that and Felissa Rose was the celebrity guest so it was just like holy because I mean, Sleepaway Camp is still uh, will forever be in my top five horror films. Still, it's one of the best endings of a slasher horror film. <laughs> yeah. to this day. It's that jaw dropping ending, but you don't want to leave your jaw open for too long because the <laughs> dong will end up in it. <laughs> so she ended up being there, and it was just it, it was fantastic. I mean, we hit it off right off the bat, and we ended up just sort of doing like that Friday. I think that Friday night they did. She was doing a commentary while we watched Sleepaway Camp. Mm-hmm. So we were hanging out in the back doing shots of Fireball, and it's like it was like MST3K meets you know Elvira at the same time. It was fantastic. She ended up voting for my short film, and we, we wanted a couple of awards there so again we were very lucky but it was just we kept in the contact and i did a short film called the corner which was sort of my trial by fire on whether i could be around clowns on a film set and she did the voice uh it was just a voiceover just on the phone and stuff like that but it was a little that was our first time working together so when i did kill giggles again i was like i, I wrote the part of, of the of a therapist dr lee courtney based off of my friend no dr courtney lee and she she did that i just fucking nailed it um so i mean to you know to be able to work with felurus the rose and then during pre-production you know talk with Felissa, she's like, well, you should get Vernon Wells in the picture. I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a great idea. Yeah, why not? So, I'll, I'll send a text right after this, and then like five minutes later, there's a, there's a text between me, her, and a strange number I don't know, and it was Vernon Wells. He's like, yeah, email me the script, and I'll, I'll take a look at it. I was like, oh, okay. So, I mean, just that right there. I'm like, I'm gonna email Vernon Wells the script. <laughs> and then, like he he not only liked it, he loved it, and he wanted to do it. I'm like, it was just fucking mind blowing. You know, all based off of a, a glib little remark of, oh, you should put Vernon in it, and then it ended up. Yeah, and I mean, he just sent me. A, I got a Christmas card from him with a picture of him and his wife from Japan. Like we're pen, I'm pen pals with Vernon fucking Wills. So again, like, there's so many times in my professional filmmaking life, professional that almost implies getting paid in my filmmaking career, to where like I just want to go back and call again, like eight year old me who's wandering up and down the aisles of the video store. I mean, like life sucks right now. I get it, but it's gonna get so fucking cool because the, the people that I that I, I watched quasi religiously, you know, between Night of the Living Dead and then like I mean like Mad Max and then Commando and then Weird Science mm-hmm. Inner Space you know Sleepaway Camp these people that I grew up watching in the in the movies because the movies were my friends those people are now my real life real friends they're real people yeah. um, I can call I can call it we can just, and, and, and it's just fucking mind blowing and I don't know how it happened you know for Kill Heels I mean I always sort of pride ourselves with Madeline Stone who make you know we make movies on an aglet of a shoestring of a budget and Kill Heels was much the same way um, I mean the budget we had for it was beyond 
bare bones, but you know, to to get people like Vernon and Felissa and Judith, and I mean, and, and they're not the the latest, you know, uh, a listered horror icon, young, you know, cosmetically enhanced person. That's not what I wanted. I I wanted the people who inspired me to want to tell stories, to want to make movies, and then to be able to to have those people say words that came out of my head is fucking mind blowing. So it, it and again, it just it, it sort of keeps evolving because I, I I'm I'm my next project, which I finally decided upon, and I'm trying to get the wheels going right now. I hope to be able to work with Vernon Wells again because we you know, we've, uh, we only and, you know again making uh, movies on an aggregate of a shoestring of a budget. We really had the budget to be able to have those those icons in not starring roles, but I mean very important featured roles or how, however you want to call it. So you know we we had a couple of days on set for each one of them, but having Vernon and Wells on set, like I mean just everybody was around like we i had to go and like sometimes like find my ad because everybody was just listening to him tell stories you know he's talking about like you know talking about working with on mad max or like you know all, all these stories about arnold schwarzenegger i mean he's just anything he says especially with that accent is fucking brilliant <laughs> uh, you know, they has the most wonderful eloquence you know felicity rose i mean to be able to sit and share stories and have these people have these you know people i have the utmost of respect for come to our very bare bones independent film set and just be happy to be there not uh where's my trailer none of this prima donna you know diva attitudes i mean everybody was just thoroughly happy to be there they knew what was involved they showed up ready to work uh and they had a a good if not great time and i i'm i'm very very lucky and i know that you know that i was able for my first feature film to be able to have you know i mean three horror icons in mm -hmm. addition to i mean michael Roy williams and i again I, I will sing his praises far and wide everything that boy does is brilliant he, he's an amazing acting talent and to be able to have him on screen you know opposite ellie church ellie is just i mean absolutely fantastic well I, and i i met her on a film set uh one of my friends jason tostevin and Randall Greenland did a short film called Born Again, which is on the Hilarious Anthology. But it's, it's, a, it's sort of a, it's a, a little horror comedy about the worst Satanists ever. And I have a brilliant little cameo in that, which I won't spoil for anybody because I highly recommend watching this film. It will change your life. But I met Ellie Church there and I've been a big fan. She's like, I mean, like uh, Amazon Hotbox, you know, Frankenstein created bikers. Yes, Outer Babe, Planet Base, Remember Space. She's just, yeah, she's an amazing acting talent. I'm trying to remember all the names of her films. She's done so much, I can't remember everything that she's done. But to be able to have her and Michael Ray Williams together was amazing. And then, uh, you know, other friends, I mean, Patrick Keenan, Nareda Velasquez, Margaret Alice, Matthew Moore, everybody was involved. I'm, I'm extremely lucky. I, I love talking about the, the horror icons because to me i mean it's proof positive that dreams come true you know i mean i watching these movies so many times wanting to be a filmmaker before i ever actually realized i wanted to be a filmmaker and then being able to make movies you know to make movie magic with the people that helped that in the first place it's just a, a amazingly amazingly uh, gives me the warm fuzzies i told you this the other day you know making a movie is hard work and obviously you know getting it distributed is even tougher so if you wish I'm just going to give you a floor for a second and you can tell folks some of the troubles that you've gone through with Kill Giggles and getting it to the masses. Now, this is the dangerous part where I can get in trouble. Hey, not with me. Yeah, no, no, not with you. Not with you. I have to, I have to, I have to choose my words carefully. Um, with Kill Giggles, we were lucky that we got we got major Hollywood distribution before we finished. Yeah, even started filming really before we finished filming. You know, the the, the wheels were in motion, stuff like that. Um, we signed with Avail Films as far as our sort of uh, distribution agents, and then it, it worked its way up a chain to it to a scale to a level we ne we never saw coming. Certainly, while we you know not where we were even making the. Food. 
movie. But there's a very slippery slope when when dreams come true, it can easily turn into a waking nightmare. Because we had, you know, we we had a brilliant, you know, we spent all the time in post and everything, you know, I mean, getting, you know, getting it through post, getting everything ready to go. And then the world's like, I'm going to drop an apocalypse on you. So that put a slight impediment in our plans, but we finished post everything like that. And we, we sort of had it ready to go. And then we found out about deliverables and professional Hollywood style level deliverables. And it's, it's shit that you do not, I've never seen, you know, uh, conventions and stuff like that, your, your film festival panels, your topics and stuff will always sort of go up to how to get your film distributed, how to get distribution. And then that stops. They don't tell you or prepare you for the, the massive, just apocalyptic level of shit you're going to have to go through. I mean, to, to get this film out. So again, it, that movies are masochistic because I mean, you're just, you're putting yourself through all these trials and tribulations and for what? Glory. Fortune <laughs> and glory in your name between little fucking sets of leaves like laurels. So Kill Giggles, uh, we, we started doing digital deliverables and legal deliverables and I had to get, you know, uh, months, you know, knee deep in an apocalypse months after we had shot the movie, almost a year after we had shot the film and you have to go back and like, well, we need I-9s for all these people. So you, you have to require like, and then all of a sudden you have to, you have to go through and get over, you know, 100, 125, 150 people and ask them for their sensitive information like driver's license, passport, all this other kind of shit like that. All these forms and legal stuff that, that they have to go through. To, and I get that because they have to cover their, you know, the studios have to cover their own ass. I get that. Again, it was just something we didn't see coming. You know, the sheer amount of legal forms, memos and stuff like that that we, that we had to fill out and we had to create was just astounding, staggering. I forgot there was one thing, you know, because we had minors in the film and we were very, very lucky that the, the minors that we had, only one had a speaking role and it was just like one or two words. They're mainly just sort of background background actors you know no action no certainly no none of the violence none of the death scenes anything like that and like with kill giggles like there's no nudity in kill giggles which that, that kind of blew the hollywood people's minds too because we, we had to get these forms fill out we were going to have to do this for i forgot what they call it but basically a, a little memo saying that all the minors in the film were not involved in any sexual scenes and there was no nudity and like the, the shit that it just it makes you feel fucking disgusting that mm. you have to right let alone sign your name to do a test that you did not do this to minors and but again i understand why it's there especially i mean as a dad as a person as a person with a heart i get why it's there but it breaks my heart that it has to be there right you know all all this paperwork and then on the digital side um the deliverables you know i mean we we had we got lucky that we had a brilliant sound crew sound designer sound director and stuff like that which saved our ass in a lot of ways but you know all, all the all the different tweaks and all the work that we did for the video and the sound files that we thought you know we have a great movie had to ramp up exponentially. So what we started off with a great movie. We have an amazing fucking film now because of all the all the, the, the digital deliverables and the files and everything has to be exported this way and all these steps. I mean, just a massive amount of things. It's not just, I'm going to send you the Dropbox link for my QuickTime file. <laughs> you know, I mean, just all these, I mean, shit scattered everywhere. And I mean, all these affidavits and forms and legal things and copyrights and all the and massive amounts of shit. And then, then kids, you get to QCs, which is quality control. This is where you pay an obscene amount of money or somebody pays an obscene amount of money for somebody to watch a movie and tell you how bad it sucks and give you like a six page fucking list because a hand brushes across the sheet in the movie and you didn't have a sound effect file specifically designated for that and you will fail your QC. Rumor has it like like only one or two films have ever passed QC on the first time. You know, no matter no matter what the, what level, Hollywood independent. And I think they were both like faith based family films, but quality control. So it's like we, we we went through we went through we jumped through all these hoops, 
and dealing with Hollywood and, and and the mentality that they have has been very, very eye-opening because you're dealing with these people who theoretically, I mean, it. you know, we shot Kill Giggles in 2019. We were done and out of post. We were done and wrapped basically by mid, mid sort of end of 2020, aiming for a, 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 a release shortly thereafter. And then we just sort of sat in purgatory and I was like, well, we're going to re-QC the movie because of this. Why? We don't know. Okay. And, it, and it's just, it's been a lot of just sort of, of, uh, shoulder shrugs and postponings or just being flat out ignored in emails. It's been very, very vexing. And I don't know, I still don't, and it's now where it's 2023. We're almost four years after we shot the film. I still have no idea when the fuck is coming out. And we've asked, we've asked people, the people that we did that are supposed to have the answers. We've asked them repeatedly religiously redundantly when is kill Eagles coming out because we we crowdsource this thing we've got investors that want the fucking movie i want them to see the movie we were very fortunate that we wrote a little, we had a little codicil on our contract we had film festival rights so we were able to kind of show the movie at, at film festivals which has been the only way that people have been able to see it again hollywood is just i don't know what they're thinking i don't I don't they don't know what they're thinking and if they do know what they're thinking they're not telling anybody else what they're thinking so you have all you have all these different people that if they would just talk to each other like a fucking adult we could probably make things happen and speed this whole process up majestically but they don't because that's not the way things are done and this is just the way the business is the way the business is the way things are the system is broken it is clearly fucking broken it was broken before covid it's going to be broken after covid i don't think that it's right for people to treat filmmakers like this when they're trying to profit off of the films that they make now, I say that from my filmmaking perspective, because I'm sure there's an entire world of behind the scenes shit going on that I don't know about. But again, theoretically, it should not be this difficult. We shouldn't have to be toiling around asking somebody like I, in my mind, it's moving something from column A in an Excel sheet to column B. Look, now we have a release date. So I, and I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's been months and years and I've asked repeatedly and I've gotten no answers. They, they don't give no fucks. They give no fucks, uh, which is surprising to me because if it would just come out, we could all make money off of it, theoretically. Movie money, independent filmmaking <laughs> money. So it, it, and again, it's just, but you know, all, all these books and everything is how to get your film distributed, how to get distribution, but they don't prepare you for what comes afterwards, um, which is, which is, you know, you know, stories like this. So I, I have to hope because I've, I've wanted to move on to new filmmaking projects for almost four years now, but I can't because the last thing that I did, it's done. It's been waiting there. You know, I mean, it, I, you want to tell people it's coming soon, but it's not even fucking breathing hard at this point, you know, <laughs> but I can't. It's been very creatively constricting because yeah, when you have to ask people for money to be able to make movie magic, when you crowdsource things, it's hard to ask them for money when the last thing they gave you their hard earned dollars for isn't in their hands yet. It's not on their screens yet. I'm the one that looks like a fucking jerk off with my dick in a way. They're like, oh, you gave me your money before haha ha. you know the, the people in hollywood they don't care it's not their fucking it's not their name on the indiegogo campaign but yet their name is in the credits of my movie there's like eight people in there i have no idea who the fuck they are but they're executive producers and they've got their own block you know and it's just like i hope they're cool so, and it's just all this all this stuff and you know that, that goes again but when we when we started kill deals we had no idea what was coming we did not expect right. this it was going to be we were just going to self-release self-distribute you know if we got like on fucking somewhere we were going to be happy 
So again, the people, you know, I know the people at Avail Films, I know they're working their butts off to try and make stuff happen. Uh, we've heard whispers and, 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 you know, whispers on the wind that February is the biggest time for independent horror, horror in general to be released. So maybe the film gods will will bless us and smile upon us. Um, but we've heard that, you know, before last February of 2022, and then kind of heard that around February of 2021. So I like, I hope that Kill Giggles is not the Chinese democracy, the Guns N' Roses album of independent film. But I, 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 I don't know at this point so i i've 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 stopped asking i haven't stopped caring but i have to move on because i need to tell other stories and i, I don't know how i'm going to be able to do that yet i know it has to happen because it not making a fucking movie is killing me i've missed like two cycles on the film festival circuit i want to get back out there. i want to be able to see this stuff so i i need to be able to tell stories so what i want to do is i want to make movies magic again remember why i fell in love with filmmaking in the first place i want to watch that shitty taste of hollywood out of my mouth and and learn from these experiences like i mean i could sit there and finger point and just be like blah, 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 blah. that's not gonna fucking fix anything you know i mean calling people names and getting mad and, and, and shifting the blame to everybody but me isn't gonna make the movie come out any sooner it's just probably gonna slowly you know painfully slow down the process even more and i don't want that to happen because there's too many people that work their asses off for hours and weeks and months of their life to be able to make kill giggles a reality and i want i want it to be out so that they can be proud so everybody can see what a fucking Molly movie, you know, a Molly crew of movie making misfits from North Carolina can do with very to little, you know, budget and a shit ton of preparation and planning and a whole lot of luck and rum. <laughs> so yeah, distribution, uh, it's a slippery slope. Uh, sometimes you're ice skating uphill, you know, sometimes, I mean, you're just a fucking, it's a Golgothan shit demon. Sometimes it's like being kicked in the crotch by kittens in combat boots. Like it doesn't really hurt per se, but it's just fucking annoying if you want it to be done. <laughs> So I, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> hopefully it, it, it should be out. It's a brilliant fucking film and I'm lucky that it has my name on it. So I, I just, I want people to see, I want, I want the masses to see it. I want people to know that it's okay to kill clowns in movies. <laughs> I have to say in movies, otherwise I'll get fucking banned from social media again. Expect <laughs> my son on that too. He's like, he goes to school. He's like, my daddy kills clowns. I'm like, you have to say in a movie. Like, you have to add that part. It's very important. You know, like CPS is going to show up for a surprise, random visit to daddy's house, and you can't have that. So, so there it is, folks. That's the plight of the indie filmmaker. But still, please make your movies, please, <laughs> everybody, yeah, make your movies. Never, that's the thing. And like, I just I want to get back into it. like I've dealt with this. I've I I would love to be able to because that's the way you, I mean to, to get the movies out on bigger and better grander scales and get more people get more cheeks and seats but this experience has just left a, a bad taste in my mouth and then you talk to the people involved and it's like this is broken it's not working oh yeah we agree well then let's fucking fix it well this is the way things are you know because you know fixing stuff change is hard so i i i don't know i don't I, I don't know i know i don't want to deal with this particular aspect again but maybe not but knowing knowing what we did especially and, and again the learning experience from everything that we went through has changed every single production we will do in the future like in terms of prep and paperwork and and and, and everything else especially in post and i mean you know preparing and planning for all this stuff now we're, we're at a much higher more proficient level than we were before we started kill Gills. so so for that I'm grateful for sure. You live and you learn. You have to. Otherwise, you're just floating around like a fucking turd in the toilet. <laughs> no, Socrates or Byron? Well, Jason, just to put a nice little bow on everything, we'll wind down with these last couple here. Uh, yes, yes. Oh, also, I'm wearing pants, by the way. Just so you know. Oh, hey. well, you sh if you would have told me that, we would have entered the interview a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't also, women's trousers, just for anyone in the audience, uh, women's trousers, the pockets on those things suck. Because I ended up inadvertently wearing a pair of my wife's jeans last week, which I think I'm still in trouble for. Because I didn't know. I was like, they fit. I'm like, oh, I'm like, man, these pockets, like my phone fell out of the pocket. I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, and they were her pants. I'm like, oh. But yeah, the, the pockets on women's jeans just 
fucking suck. So if this whole filmmaking thing doesn't work for me, I'm just going to start making like women's trousers with massive fuck all pockets. And you'll make a killing. Maybe that, maybe I should do that to fund future. Yeah. Filming. You, you might be onto something there. Seriously. Heard it here first folks. So Jason, have you had an experience that you consider supernatural or paranormal? Uh, well, there's two that stick with me as a kid. Growing up, is you know, in a trailer, trailer park, and I think mom and dad had went out on a Friday night one time. So I remember having a giant stack of fucking video cassettes and like I think four tombstone pizzas. So they were gone. They were fucked up. I think they were boogieing at the bowling alley, which again was the only thing you could do in Warrington. But I just remember being knee deep into like I think I was watching Phantasm. I don't know what I, I don't know what I was watching, but I just remember hearing like this hysterical, almost kind of like uh, remember like the 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 ghostly laughter at the beginning of the, the Scooby Doo, like the original Scooby Doo cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like I heard that kind of laughter and it didn't come from the TV. And I was the only person home in the metal box. Cause it was like, it, it was almost close enough in pitch. I was like, it sort of sounded like my mom. So I, it, being completely engrossed in the movie, I turned around, I was like, Hey mom, with the, and then just kind of like, just kind of go back to the TV. Cause I'm like, I know if I turn around again, like it's going to fucking be there. And I've never, yeah. And I mean, this, this was 1983. So there was no fucking like Alexa to make a, a weird random sound. <laughs> person was like you know six trailers away so that always kind of freaked me out i remember when we moved in we, we got a house that wasn't on wheels it was a big step up for us but we had it had a satellite dish on the top I remember the satellite dish because you would you would put it on the channels 85 uh you would put it on the channel you wanted to watch and like 47 minutes later it would it would move into position and you could watch it so you had to plan your shit out in advance but you could hear like it's like it would move in millimeter increments so but i remember like i put it on there and i was going to go make the pieces and stuff like that and when i left the tv was on the lights were off i went in the kitchen i came back on TV was off, the lights were on. I'm like, huh, that's weird. Reversed it, went back in the kitchen, checked on the pizza, came back in, same shit it happened like three fucking times. Again, completely alone in the house. You know, not it's like it's not weird fucking wiring. It was like it, it was just weird little fucking things that I've never I've never been able to explain. And then you start making movies. And then like once you make once you make a film, once you make a movie, you can never do anything in the real world the same way again ever. You can't drive down a fucking I'm driving down a country road. Monster, monster, body, death there, death. I mean, you, you know, uh walk into the walking down a fucking sidewalk. You can't even the most mundane and quotidian of simple tasks and stuff like that. I mean, take on a different connotation after you've told scary stories because you're always kind of looking for what's yeah. behind. Filmmakers are, are some of the worst people to go to like haunted attractions with. Because I mean, like I would, I, but one of us is like, there's a dude there, there's a dude there, there's a dude there. That guy's gonna jump out. That's like, I mean, like you're walking through. <laughs> You're walking, you're spoiling the thing for everybody. So, but yeah, I mean, it, and there's always, there's so much supernatural spooky shit that I think that we have just completely tuned out and trained ourselves not to ever see because it, if we had to actually see it or think about it, it would just completely fucking unhinge us. Spooky shit. I mean, like, you know, you see the memes, like every time you yawn, a ghost sticks its dick in your mouth. Maybe it does. <laughs> like, I don't fucking know. So yeah, I, I mean, there's, but that's that's the beauty. One of the things I love about filmmaking is you get the chance to to explore that, you know, story, you know, storytelling in any way, shape, form, fashion, you know, to be able to explore the unknown. And I've always, I mean, horror has just always been uh, my my natural state, uh, my natural inclination. I like to scare people. I like to be scared, you know, uh, to scare people and to make them think without them realizing that they're thinking uh, is fucking mind blowing. So I, you know, Twilight Zone was always a huge influence. Hitchcock was always a huge influence. That's why I want to do with. 
kill giggles was to i wanted i wanted to make a thriller not even really like a horror right. so we had some, we had some amazing death scenes but it's not really that bloody that graphic i i wanted the most gratuitous thing in kill giggles to be the story and that that's always been important to me uh is is the story so yeah i mean it uh, supernatural spooky shit oh yeah <laughs> well jason just to wrap this all up here why don't you tell folks where they can find you if you have a website you know where they can buy your music all that good stuff i'm, I'm right here I'm in my, my <laughs> subterranean sanctuary i can't call it a man cave i hate i hate the word man cave it's pejorative and insulting well we have madonesfilms.com uh we have killgiggles.com and then there's all the social media things i believe the facebook the twitter the ub tubes uh it's just whatever fucking thing.com slash mad ones films except for instagram where we're the mad ones films because i forgot my original fucking password and instagram they're like we're not gonna let you back in i'm like you so then i was like i'm the mad ones films now that little fucking article makes all the difference i think i think anyway for our like 16 followers we might have but i love all 16 of those people um so there and then on the cb radio we're like clown killer 666 <laughs> the rock and roll outfit uh it's called the malamondos m-l-a-m-o-n-d-o-s roughly translates to bad world in latin uh malamondos.com and then all over the, the spaces and the stuffs and stuff like that too and then Ooh. yeah that's it we'll be playing at the cave in chapel hill on friday the 13th well that's me. jason it's been a pleasure talking to you man i thank you for giving it's me some of your time man. Sorry, if I, sorry if i rambled on a little bit i tend to do that no 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 that's that's what a podcast is for a podcast without rambling is not a podcast <laughs> <laughs> well sir i'm gonna cut you loose you go upstairs with your wife and kid get some dinner whatever you're gonna do i'm gonna do the same yeah i think i think i got i think it's a lego battle and then bedtime Oh, I mean, it's like, it's like this Lego battle started off as a massive thing, and now it's like it's it's like part D and D and part like Lego and like the Minecraft. Like there's all this shit coming like coming together. <laughs> I'm like you. I'm like you're playing D and D. No, I'm not. Like you know, it was tough, like, and he does all the acting. He's like, no, this character has these four moves, and you get to pick which one. I'm like, I don't know the second one. That did seven damage. I'm like, fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, I'm like you're the dungeon master. Yeah, I have to go get my ass kicked at whatever game he's going to kick my ass in. <laughs> All right, well, uh, good luck. No, this is good, sir. I appreciate your time very much. Thank you. I appreciate you, man. You have a good night. Yes, sir, you too. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Jason. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.